Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. We're here every week helping public, private, and nonprofit organizations uh, in their efforts to get broadband everywhere it needs to be. So today we are going to look at a project uh, that's been highlighted on this, on this show uh, a couple of months ago, and that's Gig.U which is a project uh, spearheaded by Blair Levin, who is the one of the main architects of the National Broadband Plan. And his vision was to bring together uh, research universities and communities to create test beds for broadband application development. And so we are now just starting to get some of the uh, early feedback uh, as, as some of these projects get launched. And I am very happy today to be able to talk about what's going on down in Gainesville, Florida. So I have two guests today, so it's a two-for-deal for our, for the audience. Uh, Ted Kellerman, who is the director of GRU.com, which is the um, the Internet service provider side of um, Gainesville, which is rural, utility, uh, rural utilities, yes, that's right. And then also uh, David um, Picorni, who is the Director of Network Services for the University of Florida. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Craig. Yeah, thank you. And by the way, did I get the utility right? It's Gainesville um, Rural Utilities, right? Actually, it's Gainesville Regional Utilities. Regional, sorry. Uh, We're a municipal-owned utility owned by the city of Gainesville, Florida. Okay, so let's dive right in. Um, I think probably a lot of our cust- a lot of our customers, a lot of our audience, is aware of Gig.U. But why don't you guys describe the program from the inside out? What's going on down there? Well, uh, as others who may have uh, watched your program or listened to your program, uh, Blair Levin uh, has led this initiative uh, along with. Uh, CIOs from uh, 30 or so other institutions. Uh, basically, GIGU is a program to help accelerate the delivery of broadband ultra-high-speed networking in the residential sector. Uh, the University of Florida is a charter member of this group. Uh, we're pleased to be part of the group and also one of the earlier um, groups that actually helped deliver uh, gigabit in the community. Ted? I'd say that the Gainesville is really in, excited about participating in GIGU as well. I think that we see a natural partnership with the university with its draw of the high technology in the community uh, as well as delivering some, some utilities to it, particularly the gigabit bandwidth that can help that just really um, springboard into quite a development for the community itself. Excellent, excellent. So we we've got um, you know we've got both sides of that uh, the community side and the research side. Now, in the um, as you have moved forward, uh, have you brought other partners into the picture as well? I, I'm not going to say we brought other um, utilities providers into the into the partnership as well, but there is a major project that is going on within the city itself. The University of Florida and one of the major hospital institutions has a an area that they're calling Innovation Square, and they're looking for that to really to redevelop a part of the uh, the older part of town into a high tech incubator um, situation. The University of Florida has already completed construction of what is known as Innovation Hub. It's the first of what is expected to be 
many buildings in this area as it redevelops. So we've taken that innovation square, um, understanding that it will be more than just the four square blocks that it's currently on and will redevelop into what is, is in the community being known as Innovation District. We've partnered along with the university as well as Gainesville's other utilities, Electric Water and their, the Telecommunications Division, to make that a true innovation, high-tech community with all of the necessary components to make it truly successful. Yeah, Craig, this is Dave. I, I'd like to add to what Ted said. As mm -hmm. you know, last Thursday the, at the White House, there was uh, two major announcements, one being the uh, executive order to help uh, and the deployment of broadband uh, infrastructure through uh, government-owned facilities. But second to that was the U.S. Ignite launch, which is uh, a nice complementary program for which uh, in Florida, the Florida Lambda Rail uh, statewide regional opti optical network uh, joined that effort as well as a charter member. We hope to see U.S. Ignite as that uh, um, other catalyst that helps spurs the innovation sandbox in the city of Gainesville to generate new applications. The Florida Lambda Rail is a, a member of Ignite and we help to facilitate uh, this type of activity through its network. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the charters, if you will, of the of the project, the whole Gig.U project, is to create um, test beds where where others can learn uh, about applications and then probably expand on ideas and so forth. But I'd like to actually talk about how you are structured and how you operate so that if there are other communities that may have a university nearby, I mean, it may not be exactly the same as gig.u, but I think there's a, there are lessons to be learned for people who want to structure a similar kind of working relationship to both to bring in both broadband and innovative applications. So if we were to start from the beginning, you know, sort of high-level view, you know, how did you get this thing rolling? You know, who talked to who? You know, what were the understandings of, you know, or how were roles, you know, decided upon? And then how did you get this thing moving forward? Well, this is Ted Kellerman again with, with the GRUCOM um, portion of the project. There has been a long-term relationship between the telecommunications division of GRU and the University of Florida because of the the, the way that the, the student body um, is surrounding the university. The, the University of Florida has probably over 60,000 students, of which maybe 6,000 live on campus. So there's a tremendous amount of, of apartment communities that over the last 10 years, GRUCOM has served Internet access to. Um, obviously, these students want access not just to the Internet, but also to the infrastructure on campus. So we began peering with the University of Florida probably eight to ten years ago early on, um, as well as, you know, sharing a lot of, of the technology tips that would make the network just perform that much better. So we've had that relationship over a, a, a good span of time. When the GIGU project materialized, um, obviously the University of Florida was very interested, and they basically called us and said, would you like to participate with us? Um, because it was supposed to be a partnership between the research institutions, the universities, and their community, and we were more than willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you go about letting the community know that the um, project was in was coming together? 
Well, Elias Alderi, uh, the CIO for the University of Florida, did reach out to all the incumbents. Also, Blair Levin from the Project Central team uh, sent out the RFI to all uh, providers in all of the communities. So there's an uh, incredible effort uh, by the GIGU staff headquarters to get the word out. There was also meetings in Chicago and, and Cleveland to uh, engage with uh, not just the incumbents, but also the equipment providers and uh, application developers. Mm -hmm. yeah, Craig, this is Ted again. Um, we, we also had an interesting dynamic. We were one of the communities across the country that made an application to Google for their project. Ah, and, okay. And through that prod, through that effort of putting together that application, we had multiple contacts within the community through the chamber, through a lot of the, the I guess, the University of Florida community, technical communities. Um, we had venture capitalists that were very interested and involved in helping us to put together the Google application. So. When the GigU opportunity came up, we more or less just reached out to them and said, by the way, here's another wave. We don't know exactly where it's going to be going, but, you know, GRU, GRUCOM, and the University of Florida will be participating in this as well. Mm -hmm. So their, their antennas, their, it was on their radar screen. They were aware that we were working on it. And then when the Innovation Square development that I mentioned earlier came along, it was just such a, a natural uh, occurrence for us to just wrap it right around the university's push, major redevelopment projects going on in the city, which obviously had, you know, the city hall's attention, and this just, it just fit together quite well. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would add, this is Dave, uh, back in uh, the dial-up era, most, some of you uh, will remember the, the dial-up. <laughs> we won't admit it, but we'll, 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 yeah. we'll acknowledge but, uh, it. Look at the transition from cable DSL to the, the next gig um, innovation push is uh, sort of like what we had when we went from dial-up to DSL or dial-up to cable. The University of Florida actually uh, partnered with the local cable company to uh, do an early trial of cable modem technology. And back then it was even more asymmetric. The, the modem pool or the low-speed up, upward path was through the university's modem pool and the downstream faster connection was through coax. And what happened was, you know, it was a very limited pilot rollout. And uh, through that effort, you know, I think this Tier B economy here in Gainesville saw an earlier rollout of uh, at least cable modem, and then quickly afterwards the, the incumbent phone company went ahead and deployed DSL. And so I think with Gru's uh, stepping forward with this Gru network, we, we anticipate Gigabit's going to be the next thing throughout the nation, but it's, it's going to be accelerated in those communities where there's a university, research university nearby, um, and the, the cre creative talent to make use and, and develop the applications that will change the future. We had no idea in the dial-up world that there would be things like Netflix. With the, the gigabit uh, capability, uh, you can let your imagine, imagination run and, and see all sorts of new applications that will um, be innovative and also help perhaps fund the, uh, the access piece, the infrastructure build-out costs, which, as you know, are substantial. Mm-hmm. Now, in, um, in in doing the gig, uh, I'm sorry, the Google gigabit application, so clearly you guys had identified a lot of uh, interests and people, I'm, I'm guessing, had come together from various parts of the community uh, in order to do that application, because I know that, uh, you know, just from the various community folks that I've talked to, you know, in in some cities, a lot of work went into preparing for that. 
Um, what kinds of um, what kinds of work did go into that, and how did you bring the community together for that? Because I want to basically, in people's minds, sort of extrapolate from that exercise of bringing these people together to collectively create a community plan. You know what other communities can do along a similar vein. This is Ted Kellerman again. Um, we we reached out to early on when uh, to involve the chamber. Um, there was a group within the chamber that was called Innovation Gainesville that was, I guess, the chamber's push to see what high the high technical applications would bring to the community and enhance you know, business development. We also, again, because of the university, there were several incubator systems in the, in the city, and we went to them and talked to the venture capitalists to see that you know, the, the venture capitalist could say to the to the student body, you don't have to leave town in order to be able to develop technologies and build your own companies. You can do it right here, and we are going to be encouraging the development of the infrastructure to support that. So the business community through the chamber, the the the, te the new tech high tech students um, and professors through the venture capitalists, um, the, the the community leaders, the 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 city commission was involved in being very actively uh, involved. We reached out to the school board, so we had um, school board participation because they recognized the technology that would, that would it would bring into the town and how it would help the education system. Um, but all of those things over probably a three-month period, possibly four months, to put our application together were all brought into play. Um, Reaching out through, you know, the, the local Rotary clubs, the Kiwanis clubs. Anytime you could have a business presentation, we would we would get somebody to go out and talk to the group and get them excited about that application. So we had a number of people that were involved in the community, and we also had a tremendous outreach from the community, sending in separate, you know, emails and and um, Twitter accounts and things with Google trying to draw their attention. Yeah, I will add to that that uh, we also employed social networking. At one time, I think the Gig4 GNV Facebook group had over 8,000 uh, like, and a lot of people would sign their profile picture with a uh, ribbon saying Gig for Gainesville. There is an incredible uh, outpouring of support, a lot of video testimonies saying, bring it here and this is what I can do with it, the healthcare professions, the university, the research community, um, it, was, it was well supported, both uh, university and, and state college in the area. Mm -hmm. How, in, in, in the final analysis, you know, as you look back on being able to take advantage of um, the gig.u opportunity as sort of a foundation exercise, how valuable do you see this whole effort in enabling you to take advantage of you know, whatever opportunities might pop up in the future. I mean, there may be more gig.u type of opportunities. I think that because we know we have the community interest um, and we also focused on truly what that infrastructure would mean, you get um, a little bit more than a casual a business case mentality when you're approaching putting this network together there's there's a willingness to recognize that there is some speculation in building this network but with the the interest and the types of ideas and concepts that were portrayed through this type of a network that they recognize that the speculation is not quite as 
a stretch as as when you first start talking about the kind of investments that we're talking about putting in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would add that as we've seen in Kansas City with uh, Google making their pick there, that with uh, the GRU uh, Gigabit Network and the Innovation District, um, I can see companies relocating to Gainesville uh, that will develop the next generation applications, if not make it more attractive for the mine trees and other uh, companies that settle here uh, to service not just their business but also their employees who work at home or continue to be uh, productive or innovative um, off the normal 8 to 5 clock. You know, your your discussion or your description of the um, Innovation Square and having that in place uh, reminds me of something that uh, came out in an interview uh, a week or so ago at the uh, conference for the Intelligent Community Forum. And one of the founders of that group, you know, the, the question I posed to them was, how do you create innovation? Because innovation is fairly amorphous as a term. I mean, you can't really see it. Sometimes it's hard to measure. It's definitely hard to measure the impact, though you can see or sense the impact. But it's it's a very it's, it's a very um, fluid kind of a thing to put a handle on. How do you how do you plan for that? Can you plan for that? Um, well, I think it's the, what you don't know that's going to be great and around the corner. The the smart and connected communities uh, initiatives that are known by various names throughout the world are. Are, are basically going to be the leaders in new applications and development and community, uh, perhaps community governance, uh, access to services, um, extended living at home, you know, putting off the, t- the need for assisted living. Um, I think there's great potential in what this uh, foundation is going to uh, sustain or support going forward. Mm-hmm. But is there a... Um you know, again, looking at it from the perspective of a community that you know that's thinking about making a move in this in, in this direction. In other words, they're saying, okay, well, we have a we have a college nearby. Um, you know, we have uh, Gainesville and a number of other communities that we could always call up and ask how are they doing, whatever it is they're doing. You know, from that community's perspective, you know, do you have advice in terms of uh, you know how they can facilitate? Innovation. I mean, do they should they create a uh, an innovation square as well? Should they create a think tank? I mean, if you if you had to sort of start from scratch, and your end goal was to create an environment in which a lot of innovation could take place, uh, what what might be some of the steps that you'd advise people to do? I think there's going to be a lot of parallel and mutual activities. Everything from the the Computer club at the high school to the makers fair to the um, the venture capitalists that are in the area to the the incubators. Uh, Mozilla Foundation has an initiative. We have 60 days, 63 days yet to to uh, solicit uh, great ideas for possible funding of new innovative applications. That you know the innovation doesn't necessarily have to to be or the new application does not have to be uh, created right here at the University of Florida or within the city of Gainesville. It could take place. And one of the other universities uh, throughout the nation and say, I've got this, but the only way I can proof a concept or get the traction to evaluate and get feedback is to put it in these communities that have the high bandwidth symmetric capability. And um, so, you know, I think innovation is going to happen in many different parallel ways. And I, I just, I'm not sure I have the, 
the key to your yeah, Craig, this is Ted again. I, hmm? I think that it's important that you get not necessarily an individual, but a core of people that really have a passion for what the technology, what the, 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 the this type of infrastructure can really mean. There's enough examples, you know, in the in the world today where where they've got high speed networks. They may not be truly gigabit yet, but they'll get there. And the types of development, the types of opportunities that they've created for their communities, and if you get those individuals, and whether it's two, three, or six, or whatever, and they begin to communicate that passion throughout all of their contacts, and I, and it's like you know, Dave mentioned it before, we use social networking, we use the business, you know, contacts, the business networking, the venture capitalists, you reach out to all of those different components. And you can begin to, to to build that groundswell within the community that's going to be necessary to support it, because it's not one individual piece that's going to truly make the difference. You're not going to have your school board invest in gig to the schools and suddenly everybody wants it. You're not going to have, you know, a, a gigabit speed on the University of Florida campus and then everybody in Gainesville, you know, demands it. It's it's a building of that understanding and delivering that that futuristic picture of what it does with the passion of what the technology can truly bring that that gets you that community involvement that says this is the right time and this is the right place to do it. Mm-hmm. Definitely makes a lot of sense there. So now what kind of progress have you had to date? I uh, I, don't, I don't know if you started if you talked about like when exactly you you know entered into the gig.u um relationship but what what stuff has come out of that or is ready to come out the door now as a result of, you know, what you've done? Well, let me let me back up just a little bit and tell you where, where we were and then you can see how, how we're moving forward. Um Grucom has delivered communication services throughout the, the city of Gainesville and really the surrounding county as um for about sixteen, seventeen years now. Uh, we got we got formed with a joint project with Shans Hospital that wanted a high-speed network. The the incumbents weren't interested in in building fiber for somebody. The, the utility itself had a desperate need for commu- um, rebuilding its its own infrastructure. So that was a joint project that be- began that. But then we've evolved. The Grucom division evolved where we provide um, multiple types of businesses. We we transport cellular and wireless uh, services for the for the major carriers throughout the community. But we also provide internet um, to a number of the apartment complexes. Not all by any means, but but we have about 6,000 ports that we deliver internet to the bedroom and manage it for the students. We have another probably 10,000 ports that we deliver to the hotel, com- I mean the apartment complex, and then they distribute it locally on their own campuses. But we we were initially providing um, two megs of Ethernet to the port and it's active Ethernet, so it's plug-and-play. About six years ago, we upped that speed to six megs per port, and then two years ago, based upon the, the demands of the, the students, we we are providing right now 50 megs of Ethernet to each of those bedrooms that we manage to the port. So the, the technology has been fiber-based from the beginning, and now we're just upping the electronics as we see the demands there. We've been providing gigabit speeds across the community for business needs now since 2005. 
So the network has been ready. Um, we basically saw that with the, the interest and the attention that was going on in the Innovation Square to be soon the district, that the timing was right to just say that whatever we deliver inside that will be on the same Ethernet platform and it'll have gigabit connectivity within the district. Yeah, I, I would like to add this word innovation is uh, used quite often these days. And But you can uh, go back to what Ted just said about the startup of uh, GRUCOM and, and pre-GRUCOM with uh, involvement with the University of Florida and Shands teaching hospitals. That's a fine example of innovation. The word wasn't used much back then, but today it is. The Florida Lambda Rail, uh, the statewide optical network in support of research and education, that's another example of innovation. I, I think there's innovation going on at the, our universities and our um, uh, venture capitalists as they review business plans. And uh, there's just, it, it's all around us. And what I, I see is this is a natural progression. Uh, we went from dial-up to DSL cable, and now we're looking at gigabit. And that's, you know, imagine the applications that are going to follow. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's just going to happen. Um, we're, I'm just pleased to be part of that here in this community. Now, do you find that people in the general community, um, as in non-tech folks, non-telecom people, do they understand or grasp the, I don't know, the, the significance or the particulars uh, of this? And if, and if so, I mean, how much did you have to, I don't know, explain the technology or decipher the technology in order for them to realize a you know a benefit there that's worth the time and every energy that's being put into this. Well, if you take for example Netflix, people today use it. They're non-technical. Uh, they can't imagine the infrastructure behind it, but it just happens. Mm -hmm. uh, I look at gigabit networks as uh, enabling the democratization of telepresence. That's another techie term that people don't realize. But when they're looking at their high-definition video that's behind a compressed signal on cable, they don't realize well, that fast-moving car would look different in an uncompressed network. Mm -hmm. um, I attended a conference in D.C. a couple of years ago where the CIO from uh, the Veterans Administration uh, did a, um, and he's a psychiatrist, did an example interview with a patient over telepresence. Well, that equipment a couple of years ago was very pricey. Today, over an uncompressed network, the codecs are less costly. I think you're going to see applications develop, you know, the big flat panel displays we all are going to have, we're going to have an HD cam built in with a Wi-Fi network connection, and what are they going to need? They're going to need real symmetric bandwidth. Today it's typically asymmetric, and it doesn't lend itself well for the telepresence-type experience. And so we're really going to see a big change in, in the service levels. And to explain that to a, a non-technical, you can't, you can't go into the details of the technology. You just have to deliver the service. I think once they see the service and what they can do. The example I mentioned a minute ago was uh, uh, trying to minimize the need for a veteran who can hardly navigate the parking lot to the VA hospital to be able to just do the rounds from home. Um, I, I, I see the, the future is pretty bright with uh, fiber to the home and uh, new, the new applications that will follow. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I can see, you know, even just, uh, <clears throat> you know, you talk about things that weren't possible just a year or two ago, you know, with video and so forth. I mean, this radio show is actually pretty, uh, 
you know, in a small way is fairly significant and indicative because <clears throat> it used to be we'd all have to be in a studio and there had to be all this electronics and equipment and a sound person to, you know, manage all these knobs and dials and whatnot. And now people can run talk shows basically from their laptops. So basically wherever they have connectivity, they can pull up the studio, they can pull up everything online, make a couple of phone calls, and and here we go, and here we are. You know, it's that kind of... You know, but 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 I think going to back to your point, it is the explaining of how things can be done easier or for less money and so forth is probably a better leverage for um, rallying support than talking about well we're going to have the fastest pipes in the world. Right, Craig. This is Ted again, and I and I would agree with that. I think that one of the things that that and maybe we're blessed with it here in in the community in Gainesville because of the university. But even even the non-tech people, um, when when I think of the the elderly citizens, and we talk to you know I talk to my mother, and and she'll go, well I don't know what it will do, and and I begin to explain to her, well just look at the cars you drive today and the amenities that are there because of the technology change compared to what you know you, you had when you were much younger, how much more reliable they are how much less costly they are with those amenities than you would think they would be. Just imagine how that's going to have to be imposed on the, the children as they grow up too. Mm-hmm. And most of them will smile and say, yeah, you're right. I can't imagine what they'll do with it, but I'm sure they'll have the world with it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that's a, uh, a fair assessment. And um, now I'd like to talk maybe just a couple of just example uh, applications and so forth. You know, as um, I mentioned earlier, there was a conference put on by the Intelligent Community Forum, and their theme this year was really heavily about innovation. You know, how do we innovate? How do we foster innovation and so forth? And maybe now is a good time to explore what are some of the possible innovations down the road. I mean, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, there, there's video capacity that allows us to do certain things. There's the entertainment side, you know, with Netflix and so forth. But, um, you know, you, you, you folks well, uh, you know, are a uh, university town. What kinds of innovations can you see coming out for healthcare delivery? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, there's a faculty member at the University of Florida. Uh, his name is Dr. Sumi Hillel, and he creates this concept piece of a robot that is hanged from tracks in a home that can automatically lower itself and sense when somebody who's above the traditional age who would normally be in assisted living has fallen. And so the robot, Matilda, runs itself over to the person and it immediately pops up a real-life person through a high-definition camera and says, may I help you? And, and, you know, there's the ability to grab on the rails and lift a person up. Um, that's just one application. You know, a smart home that can sense when somebody has not gotten up from their bed and knows a particular pattern or knows when certain medicines are taken from a dispenser in a bathroom to track and, and ensure that certain types of medicines are taken on time. These are all types of applications that can be enabled through this type of home. So. Our academic institutions are already thinking about creative ways to help people live longer and more agile at home and reduce the, the costs on the, the higher price uh, advanced care facilities. So I look at that as one application. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the healthcare, another application that I think, you know, obviously in Florida we have a lot of, of the 
the uh, retirement communities, and all of those people at some time during the year end up going to visit their, their doctors, it's going to be, I think, conceivable in the future that you'll have a particular room or, or several rooms in the facility itself that have high-definition, high-bandwidth connectivity to the, the local hospitals or even specialists anywhere in the world that can see those patients as though they were face-to-face -face with the right type of equipment to interact with that patient, and the patients walk down the hall instead of having to drive across town or even across the state in order to get health care. Mm -hmm. It might actually improve uh, people's access to health care. There are some people who really do not want to get in their car or they don't want to be seen going into a particular specialist's office, and then they could be seen remotely from your, your living room. Mm -hmm. um, thinking uh, psychological services, I gave the example earlier about psychiatric rounds uh, in the VA. Um, I, I think you're going to see some improvements in, in delivery. I know there's some uh, areas in healthcare financing that needs reforms that need to take place for uh, reimbursements, for example, that would help enable the uptake of that type of application. But uh, rural healthcare is another example. Um, I don't expect you know these gigabit networks to be limited just to university communities. They're going to grow up in all areas, and you know, it's hard to provide. Um, all the physicians needed in a particular community or specialists for that matter and through this type of network you can actually do remote diagnosis and um, so those are additional applications that I can see uh, coming to life. Mm -hmm. Do you have any or know of any um, processes in place that would facilitate uh, what am I call it sort of a cross-pollination of, of um, Ideas like what, what I mean, for example, is a, an application created for a, an entertainment value with a few tweaks could be modified to become a healthcare application, or a uh, game for kids can be transformed into an adult education game. Right? There's a certain amount of, um, and, and probably cross pollination is not the right term, but I think you guys get the drift of what I'm saying. It's basically getting you know double, triple your mileage by by fostering some kind of process by which people in a different industry or a different profession can look at one app for somewhere else and say, we can use that here? Well, I know at the university there's the Digital Worlds Institute, and they're always looking at ways of using the technology and education and training and also remote entertainment. Um, I, I look at what, what you're trying to do is, uh, you know, here is set up an innovation sandbox, a de further development of the culture of innovation, and I think this uh, gigabit um, network here in Gainesville is going to help generate and focus some interest in the area, uh, application development. And uh, you know, I, I agree that you're going to see more types of uh, applications you can't vision, you know, like when we were on dial-up. You know, who would imagine you'll be able to stream videos like we do today and take for granted? Craig, that's also, uh, first, the cross-pollinization, I think, is, is the right word. And that's what the Innovation Square Innovation District is really trying to, to put into place, a, a multitude of buildings with a, a wide variety of, of different technologies being developed where those people can basically interact with each other on a daily basis, whether it's at lunch or you know, break time or others where they can, in fact, these are the types of things I'm talking about and look for just how those things can be applied into other fields. Mm -hmm. Let's take two kind of more well two amorphous terms 
and and see where we can go with those. Innovation is one. I mean, it's sort of we know it when we see it. We know it's powerful. Kind of hard to quantify sometimes. Economic development. We understand the end result. You know, the tax base increases and uh, revenues increase for the for the city and so forth. But in some respects, economic development or an economic impact may be hard to quantify. What happened when you're trying to talk about both? You're trying to talk about innovation and its impact on economic development. You know, for some, for for bean counters and people who are somewhat two-dimensional in their thinking, this must be something hard to to address, or is it? I would say that it's it's difficult to address at the beginning. Um, having sat through some of the the meetings here in Gainesville for the Innovation Squared development, getting off the ground, seeing the first building being constructed, um, looking at the, all of the infrastructure needs that have to be in place. And, you know, we're talking about gigabit connectivity with, from a communication standpoint, but those areas also are looking for highly reliable power delivery, which brings the electric utility into play. You're redeveloping an area that used to be uh, much lower density, so the infrastructure for water and wastewater are significantly higher. All of that is a community investment, and you know those are those are bean counter type projects up on the front end that are looking for that safe return because that's the way utilities tend to look at things. But you're talking about that innovation driving the economic development, and you have to get everybody on the same page so that they can all agree that this is how we're going to put these infrastructures in place so the economic development will come. Now, to some extent, it's 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 a bet that it isn't going to come, but at the same time, if you don't have those infrastructures in place, it is not going to happen. It just can't. It'll be very sporadic, and what you'll see is the the technology that's inbred in the community begins to leave and goes to places where it is in place. And, you know, there's those places around the world. California's got some. North Carolina's got some. They, you know, they, they just, they happened, but the infrastructure had to be, the timing had to be right. And that's what, that's where the community, that, that community foundation that I talked about that has happened over the last several years through several different projects have come together to say, this is how we're going to put it all together. And this is how we satisfy the bean counters in order to be able to make the commitment for those infrastructures. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I agree with Ted. Quantification is difficult, but you might look at the university system of Florida as uh, they, they are the engines of innovation and economic development. Um, I look forward to this community network, um, the full symmetric, to help spark additional businesses out of the home. You're a, a prime example of uh, economic development. I think the university has helped through GIGU initiative to, to spawn additional economic development in this community, and it's a matter of time before we see the fruit develop um, through increased uh, requests for licenses for working at home, uh, providing new services that uh, haven't been able to be sustainable due to the asymmetric networking that's available today. Mm -hmm. Well, you actually hit on a topic near and dear to me, not only because I am one, but uh, a lot because I see it as an under uh, undervalued, not so much undervalued, but definitely under-promoted aspect of a lot of this product. I'm sorry? It's an unrecognized source of economic development. I, I keep saying that if 
we don't yield, if the, if the return on this investment doesn't uh, produce additional businesses from the home or enables uh, different types of application and new services, then we haven't succeeded. So I like to think about the metrics of success here. And uh, the work at home, the business at home, um, the applications that are only deliverable over a full symmetric high bandwidth connection are, are key uh, metrics to, to, to look forward. Mm -hmm. So then does that mean that you would measure success by, you know, taking a count of how many home-based businesses there are today and how many home-based businesses there are in a year? Uh, do you have a way of tying that directly or that question directly to, um, you know, these home-based businesses are here because of the network? How, how do you see that unfolding? I, I don't have an answer for that, um, but I, I would look to the community to, to – I mean, that's just clearly one metric. There's got to be many more mm -hmm. uh, to add into the fold there. But, yeah, I think an increase in uh, permits for working at home is, is one example. Uh, the smart and connected community, you know, improvement and streamline uh, practices. You know, the city of Gainesville is on a four-day work week. They're looking at going back to five-day work week. Who knows, mm -hmm. with increased service interactions with the community, they, maybe they can go to a three-day work week. I, I, you know, there are other ways to look at how um, cost avoidance uh, could be a factor. Um, if we make services more available and accessible through this network, I think that's a successful metric to look at. Mm -hmm. um, now, how do you manage expectations? Because that becomes the uh, the flip side of success is um, you know is is failure due to lack of effective management of expectation. And either you get too much success, which is always surprises people to even have that as a concept. Like, oh my, how can we be too successful? To the flip, you know, to the opposite, which is you know you don't get enough success relative to the expectation. So, so how do you, you how do you control or how do you manage that expectations issue? I, I have a feeling that's something we're going to learn as this project goes along. <laughs> we, you know, since it's since it was announced two weeks ago. Uh, right now, we just want to keep the expectations as high as possible to keep the energy level there. Mm -hmm. But you are right. It has to be something that is effectively managed because it is also a slow project to roll out as well. Right. Um, the buildings just don't come up overnight. So um, we're going to have to learn that and, and, and develop those skills as we go forward. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the questions I got during the RFI process for, for Gig.U was the money aspect. You know, someone was saying, okay, well, we're we're putting together these test beds. You know, we've got the gig.u organization that's bringing together, you know, universities and so forth um, and, and trying to move these things forward. But at a practical level, how do you um, uh, afford to do these things? So in other words, for a community would say, okay, I want to do what these various gig.u cities are doing how can we do that? How do we, you know, how do we afford to bring this whole thing together of, of community and university? And then the next financial-related question is, okay, so we do this process and we find out that, oh, there's all this great stuff that can happen. Where do we get the money to actually build a network throughout the city? Well, again, I'd say that, that our our advantage has been is that we've been constructing our network for, you know, a number of years, and we've been very systematic about the way we approach it. They're all 
business case deployments so that each each leg is stood on its own. There's been very, very few speculative builds um, without, you know, a, a signed contract or, or a definite business proposal. Um, and and we're very fortunate, again, that our network in the area that we're looking to, to make this gigabit network happen is we're surrounding it with fiber. So the incremental cost in our case, because we've leveraged the, the fiber platform that we've been building over a number of years is, is not near as high as if it was a total greenfield build. Um, and that's the thing I would, would, would tell other communities that you don't really want to think of a particular project that's somewhat speculative like this as being the foundation for your network. There's a lot of other good solid business cases for building a fiber network to connect your own, you know, your city facilities, the utility facilities, the schools, and then these types of things are incremental to that and it just it makes a lot more economic business case development possible when you've got that that built-in you know infrastructure to to, to springboard off of mm, okay so um spread the process out in fact let me describe a process and you guys can tell me you know what your thoughts are on that so in a number of communities where they are building the network slowly someone has sat down and figured out okay the total cost for building a network might be call it 12 million dollars just for for whatever um and they'll say, well, if we can get a third of that to then build out a network and start offering services and proving success, we can then over time expand to the full network and maybe even along the way get some traditional financial institutions to come in and support it because we've made the business case based on having built out a third of the city or a quarter of the city rather than going for the whole nut. Does that seem reasonable, logical, workable? Well, absolutely. But but again, what I would say is even the, the, the third or the quarter that you build, I don't think that you should try and build it on, I'm going to build it and then all these people are going to connect. You need to build it on a business case basis of the fact that the the, the fiber or the, the infrastructure that you build is put to use quickly. You don't want it to be sitting there and then, then going out to customers and saying, I have this network, do you want to connect to it? Mm-hmm. We we built ours out on a business case. We have a, a customer will come to us and say, I want this type of delivery platform. And we price it out and we agree to it and then we construct it for them. Um, so there's there's not a speculative build there. I think the, the communities that have, that have run into trouble will basically say, oh, we know the community wants it, so they build it, and then they don't get the take rate that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where they run into some some of the financial hurdles. Interesting, interesting. Let's talk about some of the political hurdles. Um, does having a network centered around innovation blunt some of the political t- attacks that a lot of these community networks take, or does it just not matter in the end? I think that one of the things that is on on our particular network is that we we have constructed an an ether-based active ethernet network and it's an open network. If if a third-party supplier will come to us and say I want to connect to your network, we're fully open to entertain that interconnection 
to add value to that network. That doesn't mean we connect them for free. There's going to be, you know, a, a charge of some kind associated with it, but that also brings value to the network. So we, we haven't built a network that no one else can participate in. It's it's designed to be a community asset. And the more providers that we have that are on that network, then the more valuable that network is to the community. Um, we're, we're not trying to put anybody at, at a disadvantage. We're constructing a network that we see a need for that isn't there, hasn't been constructed, and that's that's the basis for the platform. And I would right. add that in Gainesville, anyway, we're in a tier last economy where you can typically going to see it last deployed before the metropolitan areas are served. So mm -hmm. I, you know. How big is Gainesville's population, by the way? I think uh, roughly. when I say when I say Gainesville and the surrounding suburbs, it's about 150,000. Mm -hmm. um, it might be slightly larger than that. Um, and I, and then I would tell you that you know about 70 to 80,000 of that is university-based, either students, professors, services that supply to it. Um, and there's another university in, in the community as well. It's, it's a smaller university, but it's still, you know, Santa Fe University is, or College, Santa Fe College is there as well. And they probably carry another, oh, 15 to 20,000 students. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's truly, uh, you know, university, college-based um, for a lot, of, a lot of the services are surrounding that. But then there's the suburbs of, you know, in, in, the, in the surrounding small cities, so I'd probably say about 150 to maybe 200,000. Mm -hmm. How do you address um, a uh, lack of, of um, connectivity, dig digital inclusion, or a lack of digital inclusion? Because um, you talked about uh, everything has to have a business case, right, because that's how you sustain each segment of the network as you build it out. But if one of the objectives is for digital inclusion, getting low-income people online uh, who can't afford necessarily the, you know, the, the upper end of, of broadband costs or even the mid-range of broadband costs, what what happens to those communities? Do you do you subsidize that by virtue of other elements of the network that are generating revenues, or how does the math work there for you guys on that? Well, from from a from the GRU or GRUCOM base, we we're going to build our platforms based upon a demand from the from the customers. Um, and what I think you're finding is in those parts of the community that you're describing, they're getting their their digital needs via different technologies, whether it be smartphones or, or cable or DSL, at a at a level that that they that they find that they want and need that that they can can afford. We did it when we we actually put together a BTOP application prior to the Google application, um, and so we sampled the community, and we've got virtually 99% of the community is is broadband capable today. Now that's under the BTOP qualifications of broadband. Uh -huh. But we had about 85 to 90% that when you did your poll in the, with the with the customers that said they had their broadband needs being met. And so it's you know because there's there are folks out there that probably would like it that can't afford it, but it's not as widespread here as as you might find in other communities. Mhm. Uh -huh. Is is that a general? Um, let's see. I know. Is that a byproduct of your community being more upscale than than many of the 
I don't know, larger urban areas, or uh, what? To what do you attribute that? You know, high level would, of at least some level of connectivity. Yeah, and I and I would not say it's because it's a it's a upscale. I would say that digital connectivity is of more importance to the people here because they use the technology. Um, so they're they're willing to adjust their their personal budgets to make sure that they get their digital needs met. Mm-hmm. Now, the, there was a data point from 1994 when the Alachua Freenet initiative uh, was launched. If you remember the Cleveland Freenet, well, there was one oh right, right, and uh, University of Florida um, lit up the community with uh, free modem access, sort of like the public library model mm-hmm. for the internet. Mm-hmm. And on launch day, we had 10,000 people sign up. And a lot of volunteers, and uh, you know, they all competed for 72 modem phone lines. Uh, and but the survey at that point in time, I think the community uh, take of IT at the home was in the 40 to 50 percent range. And remember, 1994 is a year before the internet became commercialized. Mm-hmm. This universe, this community has had a, a high adoption rate for technology. Okay. Does do you think having the college there contributes to that, or absolutely? What? Yes. Okay. And, and the interesting thing, there's a lot of people in retirement that sign up on day one of the launch mm-hmm. of Freenet, and they were uh, avid supporters and volunteers and helped bootstrap other people's uh, modem connections and setups, and uh, it was a real positive community and, and involvement. So you're saying that Freenet is is community supported then well it's private or, public supported yes public private okay i got gotcha. you so what's next what's the next evolution you know you you guys got your your gig dot you uh you know membership you're in you're rolling this thing is going forward uh obviously there are some early uh successes and so forth what's th- what's the next phase you know well, I'd personally like to see um, more engagement with the Ignite community, uh, the Mozilla Foundation and their uh, challenge. Um, I'm trying to get the word out uh, both to uh, venture capitalists in Gainesville as well as the social network, uh, you know, posting uh, information about how one can sign up to the Mozilla challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned earlier that uh, there are at least two communities in Florida, the, the Florida Lambda Rail and Lake Nona Medical City or the Lake Nona Institute um, that joined the Ignite program in D.C. last Thursday. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think it has to be in, the, in applications. Uh, clearly, the, the, the network by itself isn't glamorous. It's it's what you do with it. And so we really need to get developers out there and enhance the culture of innovation, developing those sandboxes, those pilot communities. And, uh, you know, Gainesville's one. There hopefully will be many more to follow. Mm-hmm. Do you see a continuation of this kind of leapfrog effect where, you know, you're building this particular hotbed, the uh, hotbed, t- test bed, um, you are, uh, you know, envisioning certain applications and so forth. Will the next, you know, physical advancement of the network be kind of along the lines of, you know, we've developed these, I don't know, 10, 15 apps, everybody's excited about it, so we're now going to try to, you know, Build a network to other parts of the city to, uh, to to utilize those apps that we've just created here in this Gig.U project. 
I think that what that if we're successful and the test bed comes up with those types of applications, the demand will come for us to expand the network, whether it's our network or peering with another network that's connecting different parts of the city. That's something that we'll have to wait and see. But I do think that we're going to see that, that the demand for the speeds will, will, will grow, just as if when people started doing Netflix overline, they started calling their companies and saying, my one and a half megs doesn't do it anymore, I want six megs. Mm -hmm. Or I, my six megs doesn't do it because we're watching on four TVs. I want ten megs, and so the demand will will push back toward the suppliers to say, "Give me more," and then those demands will be met. Mm -hmm. And I will add that the typical business models for recovering the costs are going to change. I mentioned it earlier, but you, you may or may not know, but in the LTE Evolve Packet Core, the protocol spec includes such features as. If somebody on their smartphone or their tablet clicks on this URL, there's a charge click. There's a charging support mechanism within the LTE protocol that goes to the source of the data, and the content provider buys down that cost of that transaction. I look at uh, software-defined networking, OpenFlow, uh, Ignite, and the, the new applications that will follow to help subsidize, or I hate to use the word subsidize, but to help Let's say somebody has a gigabit connection to their home, but let's say they subscribe to 100 megs of Internet. That leaves about 900 megabits of untapped capacity, which they can use within their community, but also a service provider says, I want to reach out and make a high-definition high call to this person, and I'm willing to pay so much for that hour's use of that untapped capacity. I think that's just one example of uh, potential cost shared or uh, revenue generation of potential that these networks are going to be engaged in going forward. And I, that's a big leapfrog com concept to get across, but I, I really think the new applications, some of which will want to pay for the, to, the privilege to ride on that uh, local last-mile connection. Mm -hmm. So we've got about a minute left, and so I want to ask this one question. What is the biggest of all the possible benefits that can come from U.S. Ignite for a gig you project like yours because uh, us ignite is going to be on my show tomorrow so what's the bridge here what's the biggest benefit for you guys from them what they're doing i think they're going to spark uh the developers out there to take an interest in this new infrastructure and we want to be partners to the mm -hmm. application developers uh, we want to be their pilot test bed whether that application's generated locally here at the university of florida or through a venture capital firm funded firm at an innovations uh, district, or it could be somebody from another community like ours on the opposite side of the United States. I think mm. you know the community is going to start developing pretty rapidly, and these test beds are going to be coordinated through the Genie uh, backbone uh, via Ignite. Um, and I'm not saying that's the only initiative that's going to help fund applications. I don't think you need to be in necessarily in that community to generate the next great idea. Great. Well, this has been uh, extremely informative, and I am very happy to see, you know, the early the early success of the program. Uh, thank both of you guys for being on today and, and sharing your insight. And uh, one way or another, I know I'll be keeping in touch as as things progress. So, you know, much continued success with this project. We appreciate it. Thank you very much.
Sure, and thank you to our audience for listening in today. Definitely want to be here tomorrow because we will have two of the founding partners for U.S. Ignite uh, open the lines for call-ins. We really want to you know, explore what's coming out of U.S. Ignite and how you folks that are listening can take advantage of all the stuff that they're doing as well as all the things that are coming out of the Gig.U uh, projects. And thanks to our sponsor, Hiawatha Broadband Communications, for their continued support of Gigabit Nation. Everybody have a great day, and we'll talk again tomorrow.